This is the week number five, I think, yes, in our series on the Holy Spirit. So, um, we've got, um, yes, uh, um, two more weeks after this. And um, we are just trying to really uh, get, as a, as a church, gets grounded really well in the person, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and make sure that we've got a good biblical foundation because that is what will make us safe and secure to be able to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah, so you don't just want to get a good biblical foundation so you can tick that box. And you don't just want to have a load of spiritual experiences that have got no reference. You want to know what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit so that you can safely press into all that God wants to do with us by his Holy Spirit. So we're to be a church that um, knows what the Bible teaches, but also experiences powerfully the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. That is absolutely what we are about, in case you are uh, wondering. And the way we are uh, doing this series is that every week just saying the same five things about the Holy Spirit for one minute each, just so you just things that are really important to know that maybe often maybe get missed or misunderstood. So just making that clear, five things. Same things every week, and then we are after that we're looking at a passage. Um, it's the same passage in the Bible every week, um, and asking the question: How can I know? How can I know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? And pulling out seven things from this passage, and then finally for the final part of the sermon, we are looking at just one thing the Holy Spirit does, um, uh, it, what He comes to do in our lives. So it's a very it's a very kind of a, um, re- repeated format, if you like, but we're looking at different things um, every time apart from these five so five things that are good to know about the holy spirit are you ready number one you probably know them off by heart by now if you've been here every week but the, the holy spirit is a person and not an impersonal force so the holy spirit we, when we think about the holy spirit we shouldn't think about just impersonal ideas like uh, rain or wind or fire even though the holy spirit is often represented by those things he's not an impersonal force a word that you often heard you hear used a lot about spiritual matters is energy you anyone said that about you you've got good energy or, or you've got bad energy. Maybe people don't say that. If they think you've got, they just look at you and walk, walk funny and walk off. But, you know, I think once or twice people said to me, oh, you've got really good energy. And it's an interesting word. It's kind of, I think aura would be a similar kind of idea. Um, and, and we can kind of just think of the Holy Spirit as maybe an aura or an energy. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit of God. And so when we're thinking about the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about a relationship with someone. Not just an, ex- an experience that's impersonal, number one. Uh, number two, the Holy Spirit brings to us the presence of the Father and the presence of the Son. And so a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit is going to be really secure in the love of the Father, um, in knowing the Father, and is also going to be really excited about Jesus and honouring him. Um, a church that's fixated with the Holy Spirit is probably not honouring the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit comes to reveal the Father and the Son to us. And so um, it's not that we don't ever talk about the Holy Spirit, we're doing a whole series on him. But we want to be in line with the Spirit, who is wanting to teach us about the Father and about the Son. Thirdly, uh, the work of Jesus has made a way for the work of the Spirit. So it's all about the gospel. The Spirit comes to us because Jesus has completed his work that he came to do. Remember, just before the cross, Jesus prays this prayer that he's, he's completed the work that his Father came for him, to, for him to do. Just before he goes to the cross, he knows that really he's done all that he was called to do on earth. And all that's left now is the cross. And then he's risen from the dead uh, and ascended back to heaven after appearing to the disciples for 40 days. Uh, and at that point, the Spirit was...
was poured out on the day of Pentecost, which shows us that the coming of the Spirit hangs on the work of Jesus on the cross. And so you haven't got to choose between whether you're going to be a, ch- a church that's really excited about the gospel or really excited about the Holy Spirit. Okay, The Spirit is given because Jesus is victorious. Amen. Number four, um, without the fullness of the Spirit, without knowing the reality of the experienced Holy Spirit among us, then we, we can become like a house that's no, with no one at home. Um, we can have all the structures in place. Everything can look good, run smoothly. We can have the set-up team and everything happening and gospel communities and all the things that we love. But without knowing the manifest, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, it's like a house with no one at home. So everything's in place, but where's the warmth? Where's the life? So we are, we, I would, uh, my heart, definitely, if I had to choose between all the stuff, all the organization, all the everything, and the presence of God, I know what I'm going to choose. The presence of God any day. Um, that doesn't make the other things wrong, but it's about priority. What do we prize? We prize Him. And then finally, um, Although everything has been done for us to receive and know the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus, everything doesn't just fall into our laps automatically. The Bible says that we uh, inherit God's promises through faith and patience. That means there's a, there's a stepping in to what God's promised for us as, as God's people. That we are to say, Lord, this is what you've promised that we would know the fullness of the Spirit. That in the last days you want to pour out your Spirit on all flesh. Right, I'm going to believe you for that. I'm going to expect you to do that. I'm going to be in faith. So it's really, really important um, that we don't kind of get it wrong in terms of how it works and just assume everything just kind of happens. We are called to be active participators in all that God's doing. Um, and so that means, that means that, you know, the Bible says things like draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus is abiding me and I'll abide in you. There's, there's initiative for us to take. There's invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and feast. There's things for us to do in order to engage with God. He's looking for partnership. He's looking for genuine two-way relationship. Even though ultimately the initiative's always his. He's real, if, if in a, imagine a relationship where you were always taking initiative. At some point, would you start thinking to yourself, I'm not sure how interested this person is. At some point you think, this is a, this is a funny one. <laughs> and you, you, God, is, God invites us to draw near to him. God invites us to seek him. God invites us to hunger for more of him. And so we have that absolute invitation from heaven to, to get on board in faith. So those are the five things. Very, very important things. Okay, so let's look at our scripture, Acts 2, that we're looking at. This, this scripture comes from... Um, uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish feast in the middle of Jerusalem where um, the Holy Spirit falls in great power on these early believers, 120 of them gathered to pray. The Holy Spirit comes in power and there's such a noise and a racket. Um, we're told that a sound of a really powerful rushing wind and, 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 and uh, comes into this room and flames of fire appear above the believers and they'll start praying out in languages they've never learned before supernaturally. And there's such a racket that people that all around gather to what's going on. And Peter preaches that this is what God has promised and he proclaims that Jesus is Lord. And then we're told when they heard this those who were listening they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the lord our god calls to himself father thank you for your word i just ask you now as we just unpack the scriptures holy spirit do amazing, invisible things. 
that result in amazing visible things. Please, I just ask, Lord, that you would, just, Lord, I thank you for the way you work. Thank you that you get right to the soul of a man or woman. Thank you you don't deal in superficial, shallow things. You get right to the heart. I pray and I ask you, Lord, that this offering of words would be someone that you'd be glad to use to get to the heart. Search us out, Lord. Search us out. Help us, I pray. Amen. So we've looked at uh, week number one. First step is a repentance, a turning, a changing of mind from trying to save yourself, from looking to the cross. Week number two, we looked at repentance, a changing of our mind about dark things. If you want to know the Holy Spirit, you want to know forgiveness, you've got to make up some decisions about dark stuff and say, I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to live in hiding anymore. I don't want to entertain and hold to myself dark sins. I want to put it away. There's a, there's a clear mind change called for in that regard. Week three, we looked at baptism. Last week, we looked at surrender. Just that sense of, Lord, I'm going to get out of the driver's seat and let you be in the driving seat of my life. And this week, I want to look at desire. Desire. It's such a powerful thing. You see, these, the, these, these, these people are cut to the heart and they cry out, brothers, what shall we do? There's a desperation, there's a longing, to, to, there's a response they know. But you can see driving this thing is, we want to know what to do. Desire is such a powerful, powerful force. Not just in spiritual things, in life per se. Um, human beings are ultimately not logical creatures, but creatures of desire. So we do what we want and then we create logical arguments to justify it. We're not fundamentally driven by logic. You can often see it. Someone might say, I'm so busy. I haven't got time for anything. I'm five, six, seven nights a week. I'm out. Da, da, da. And then they find romance. And then suddenly they are with their beloved four, five, six nights a week. And you think, that's amazing because you used to be busy five or six nights a week and you didn't have any time for anything. And it was all just out of control, your life, your diary, but you had to be there, 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 there. Now you've found romance. And something in your heart has gone, that pilot light has gone into a flame. And now all of a sudden, you're, you're finding time. This just, time has just magically appeared. Everything's fallen away, uh, coincidentally. And, and now I can spend all of my time uh, outside my dear one's balcony singing songs to her. Or uh, however it goes. But desire... Desire will shape the way, what you do with your life, in the big decisions and the small ones. But because we know that kind of, I think we know that we are people who, one way or another, are probably called to give an account for the way we live and what we do with our time. We, we are masters at, at justifying why we do what we do. But what we are driven with in our depths is desire. We all do with our time what we want to do with our time in the main, unless we are under some genuinely forced, oppressive program in some part of the world you know, where, where that kind of thing happens, or some little corner hidden away in our country where that kind of thing happens. You hear about these awful stories where people are kidnapped and forced to work and by fear. You hear about this. This is a different scenario. In the main, human beings are driven by desire. Driven by desire. So how does that work in the Christian's life? Well, you'll be glad to hear that it's not something that some are able to do and others aren't. It's not like some Christians are just like that, you know, and others aren't. That would be, a, imagine that, what an awful idea that there are some Christians, they're just kind of 
They're just zealous. Just desire. They just want more of God and others. I'm just not, not put together like that. My temperament's not like that. I'm not, I'm not wired like that. We, we tend to explain so many things by way of temperament and uh, the way we're put together and, and even neurology and other things that you can tend to put everything in that camp. But that doesn't work for this. If That really doesn't work. Spiritual desire is a supernatural thing. Spiritual desire is something that God can put in the heart of any person. In fact, I would say that desire is the key to probably knowing if there's, if there's a flicker of desire for Jesus, that's probably the greatest evidence that someone is actually born again. Because that's supernatural. No one is born with love for Jesus. You may be born with an interest in spiritual things, but to love Jesus, that's the work of God. And you know what, you know, if, if ever I meet anyone who, I don't maybe people want to get baptised and want to talk about it, and their life can be a complete, you know, it's a, it, it seems like a car crash in terms of the things that are going on. It, it just seems like you think, gosh, this is an absolute mess here. There's so many loose ends to tie up and so many difficult things they're facing and pressures. You think, wow, but there's a love for Jesus. You think, I can see God at work here. And someone else can have their life and it can be all sewn up and it, everything can look so orderly and in place. But there's no desire for Jesus. Then the heart of the matter is a big problem. There's something going on. There's something wrong at the core. You see, to love Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about what kind of person you are. It's not about whether you're loud or whether you're quiet. No, no, no. Those things are, they operate on a, on a personality temperament level. This is deeper than that. This is the work of the spirit in the soul of a person. And so it might manifest in a loud person in a loud way, in a quieter person in a quieter way. But desire for God is something the Holy Spirit can do in anyone. And when you come to know Jesus, that's something that just, that just happens. And, and it's something that you, can, that you can foster, give attention to. Like any, like any other kind of fire. You can, give, you, can, you can add fuel onto it. You can create a good place where it's going to grow into something really enormous. Or you can neglect it. Or you can pour cold water on it. And there's a, something happens as a result of that fire. The Bible speaks in those terms. We will look at that as we go through uh, the message today. But the bottom line is, is that God puts a new heart in us at conversion. See this scripture, Ezekiel 36, um, says this. If we could have a look at that, Rebecca, please. Is it frozen? It's okay, I can just turn to it if it's frozen. If it's frozen, just let it go. So that's fine, so I die, that's fine. So. That's alright, it's alright, it's alright. No, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Here we go. There we go. No. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I will give you, here we go. I'll give you a new heart. This is the promise of God, right? And this is, this is referred to in the new covenant about conversion, becoming a Christian. This is what happens. This is amazing. This is what happens when you become a Christian. God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Something happens inside where you go, I want to please God. That is a work of God. That, I mean, if you know anything of that, you, you are free to hang from the PVA lights and do flips in, in joy and celebration because God has done a work in your heart. If you know that, that's not natural. The Bible says that naturally, when God's laws and rules come in, we go, I want to do my own thing. 
That's the natural response. Now, when we become a Christian, there's still a lot, some of that old element, the Bible calls it the flesh, that remains. I'm not saying that completely goes, but there's something else there that works at our core level, which says, I want to, more than anything else, I want to please you, Lord. Wow. That's a gospel work. The new heart. Jesus phrased it in a slightly different image here. He's speaking to a woman and said, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about natural water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Something is put in by the Holy Spirit and it wells up to eternal life. It's like a, you're not just given a drink, you're given the very source, you're given a fountain put inside of you. And it wells up, it bubbles up into desire for God and for spiritual things and for the things of God. But can that well become blocked? Yes, it can. Can that fire be, be caused to dwindle? Yes, it can. What by? Well, it can, be, it can sometimes just be discouragement and despair. As a Christian, maybe you believed God and you took a step of faith and it didn't go as you thought. And you can recoil and think, oh, blow that. <laughs> or maybe just other things that you just thought that the Lord was going to do, they didn't happen, or at least when you thought they were going to happen, or how, and you go, oh. Or maybe there's just circumstances, things have gone on that you think, God, I put my life in your hands and things have got worse since I did that. And just discouragement can get into your spirit or despair. And you, you can go through seasons where you just think, ah, and it's, like the, it's a bit like the world gets just blocked up with that, that flow, that joy, that desire that was once there. It kind of is not like it was. Or it can be that you just start to love the things of this life in a way that your heart was made to love him with. I mean, thank God for brilliant things in this life. But when you start to love the things in this life more than you love him, the Bible describes that as worldliness or love in the world. And James, in his letter, he, he says this in James chapter, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, just to be clear there, the word their world doesn't mean your neighbours. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean physically like your neighbours and no 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 well, of course be friends with your neighbours and you know, it's not saying that it's talking about the world system which is basically built on human self sufficiency the world system which is built on lust and kind of coveting wanting things you can't have and kind of boasting in what you've accomplished all of that James says if you befriend that you're making yourself an enemy to God and he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers and he's saying, if you begin to befriend that way of thinking or philosophies that even subtly promote that way of thinking, you're making yourself an enemy of God. It's really strong language because it's a really strong thing. It can what, it just drag your heart away from God. You think it's not like it was. You can, say, you can find yourself thinking, it's not like it was. These are things all of us, all of us know, the reality, the temptation, the, the draw. Of these things. This isn't just some people. All of us will know the potential draw of these things. Or you can just, you know, like with a, with a, if you've got a well and you just don't keep it clear, that clear, or a fire and you don't attend to it, through neglect, through neglect, you can just, things can just, the desire can go. Oh, here's another one, just occurred to me exhaustion. I would say I've experienced burnout probably about, I don't know, seriously, maybe a couple of times. And then I've been on the verge of one probably a couple more times on top of that and have learned some big lessons through it. But one of the most shocking things I've experienced through it is my desire for God has just gone. And it's been really scary 
especially when you're a full-time pastor. <laughs> you know, that's kind of even even scary, not just for you, but for the people that you're, you're shepherding. You think, well, what, what does this mean? But it's a really very stark thing. You suddenly, oh, it's like it's like all the lights on the dashboard just go, just closes down, and you think this is awful. I don't want to. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to. I don't do anything. It's a sort of spiritual, emotional burnout. You need to keep an eye on that one in the in the centre of the city in life. Yeah, it's a big one. And then there's more, perhaps more obviously spiritual stuff. We can neglect the Bible. Listen to the way um, the psalmist talks about the Bible. Listen, this is this is amazing. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Wow. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is great reward. I love this, these drippings of the honeycomb. It's the most desirous thing, sweet, lovely, wonderful. It's, that's the idea there, shiny, bright, enlightened your eyes. Wow, this is what God's word is, is supposed to do in us. And, if we ne- and sometimes we have to dig around a bit, and, 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 and there is effort involved, but if we neglect that, we can become really malnourished spiritually. I mean, oh, why do I feel like this? And it's just, it's just the equivalent to if you spent a few days just eating rubbish. If you spent a few days just eating rubbish, you're going to feel it physically. You think, I've got no energy. I just Well, likewise, spiritually, if you just neglect proper Bible study, proper being in the Word, it has an effect spiritually. You're malnourished. It's just straightforward teaching. It's not, this, isn't, this is 101. But it's really it's often on the basics where we fall down, I think. Or maybe it's just through lack of prayer. You know, There's just a distance because it develops through a lack of heart-to-heart conversation with God. You know, like any relationship, you, you can't, like, like with myself and Davina, my wife, you know, if we just always just chatting on the go, there's never a time to sit down and properly talk. After a while, there's, it takes its toll on the relationship. It's not like it was. And so it's important we put in the diary, make sure we just get some time to talk, catch up, speak heart to heart. It's important to create time and an environment in order to do that well, away from distractions. Same with God. Just same with God. Just make sure, just set some time aside away from distraction. We can just talk. Maybe that's good for you out walking somewhere on Hampstead Heath or somewhere like that. Or maybe you, you close a door in your room. Whatever, whatever is most conducive. But it's really important. Or, or, or it might be lack of fellowship. This is one that I think is, is probably, we, 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 we understand the least, but is very, very important. Look at Hebrews 3. Um, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, listen to this, exhort one another every day. That word exhort means invite and call each other into all that you can be. Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What this tells me is this. If I neglect relationships with other brothers and sisters where we are calling each other into the things of God and encouraging each other and ju- just talk, you know, just sort of fellowship, Remember what I said the other week, fellowship is more than just a cup of tea with a Christian. There's something about the nature of the dynamic. We're encouraging each other, we're praying with one another. What that, that keeps me from the deceitfulness of sin. If I neglect that, then what happens is, is that sin has a way of just kind of, 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 of over time just blindsiding me so that I just don't see things straight anymore and I can become hardened by that. So it's just really straightforward things. 
They don't always seem super exciting or dramatic. They can seem quite incremental and just step by step. But then you look back, it's like exercise. Some, it's not often dramatic and, oh, you know, normally it's just, fucking, I did it, you know. Uh, but over time you look back, you think, I'm in better shape. I'm in, I'm in better shape, you know. Uh, often maybe if you go to the gym, you, you think you go in there, you think, oh, no. But you rarely regret it when you come out. You think, I'm glad I did that. Now, it's, there are other ways where that illustration doesn't work, you know, but there's, there's something that does work about it, whereby just through doing the things we're called to do, there's health that comes. There's health that comes. It's meeting with God, and then your, appet- your spiritual appetite grows, and you're, wow. Now, look, now, second part of the sermon, what the Holy Spirit, uh, hold on one second, hold on one second on that one, Becca, thank you. It is what does the Holy Spirit do when he comes into our lives? Well, it's quite interesting because I'm saying first to know more of the Spirit, there's a desire. But what does the Holy Spirit do when, he, when we know him more and more? He brings more and more desire. So you get into a flow, a Holy Spirit flow, where you think, God, this is, I mean, I'm onto something here. I'm, I'm, it becomes a bit of a runaway train. Now, it's not as straightforward as that, but there's something of that dynamic that goes on. So the Holy Spirit comes to baptise us with fire. Listen to these things. John the Baptist said, um, I, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptise you with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Breath or the Holy Wind and fire. I remember on Pentecost we're told they came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind. That's what the word spirit means. And they filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested each, on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the coming of the Holy Spirit is described in terms of fire. Like I said, it's not about temperament. You might be a very effusive type of person or you keep things on the down low naturally, but both can be fiery. There's a deep burning conviction and love for God that the Holy Spirit brings into our hearts. The Bible says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5. That means I can, I can take what the Spirit's doing in my life and I can put cold water on it. I can do that. I can do that by hiding my light. Remember Jesus, don't hide your light. There's a fire in me, that's the light. I can cover that so no more oxygen gets to it and just not showing who I am and then I find oh, something's happened to it. Or by listening too carefully to those who are threatened by my zeal. Sadly, often Christians. I'm not saying I experience this a lot, I'm talking hypothetically. But I think very often there are people who would call themselves Christians who are threatened by other believers who are more zealous and we'll just say little things, little comments, but it, what it does is it can just kind of be like a sideways cutting comment and you can think, oh, there's something wrong with me because I'm really getting excited about Jesus. And, you know, if you, if you then back off at that point, I, I, think, I think the Lord is weeping. You know, Jesus was a man of great zeal, a man of great fire. Jesus is just really excited about people that are full of childlike faith. Did you know that? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Um, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is your gracious will or your good pleasure. You know, God loves to just reveal things to people that would just come and, and, and trust like children. And Jesus looks at it and says, I love this. I love this because you, you, everything isn't, isn't being filtered through a, 
unhelpfully analytical mindset. I'm not saying we shouldn't think about things or study. I'm not saying that at all. But you can have a mindset that is unhelpfully analytical. You're, you're so in the grip of complex analysis, you can't enter in. And so in the end, it's kind of like God's doing a mighty work, but you're kind of robbed by the way you approach and everything. There is a place for childlike faith, and I'm for apologetics and good arguments for the gospel and all of that, but there's a place for childlike faith. Well, you say, you know what, Lord, I just need more of you, and I can't answer all the questions, but I long for more of your presence in my life. That's a good thing to say. So I would just say that fires need regular attention. The Spirit comes, he comes to bring fire into your life. He wants us to be a fiery church. He, he wants a fiery church. You know, it's a, you know what it said of Jesus? When he cleared out the temple um, in John 2, I think that's the next one. Is that the next one, Rebecca? It says, uh, yeah, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for the house of God ate Jesus up. He loves the church. Jesus loves his bride. Jesus loves the house of God. He loves the church. It's it's a fire in his heart about the church. Part of being on fire for God is having a, a, a fiery love for the church. Not seeing it as some kind of marginal thing, but God's plan. God's plan is to bring hope to the world through his church. God's plan is that the gospel is seen through the church. Not just in the in the message where we proclaim Jesus has died for the sins of the world so we can all be forgiven. Hallelujah. Jesus has risen from the dead so we can have eternal life. Hallelujah. But then the world is supposed to look on and see the way we are so committed to one another in our love. In a fiery sacrificial love for one another that they say these people are the real thing. These people are the real thing. It's an amazing prospect. It's what the Spirit comes to do. I want to just come uh, to a close now. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I want to do five minutes Q&A and just read a two-minute testimony from a man called Charles Finney. Charles Finney is a very, very famous 19th century um, lawyer who got totally sovereignly saved one night while he was in his lawyer's office. God just came on him and totally converted him to Christ in a moment. And he thought that was it for the night. But then this happened. As I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was such a thing for me, without any recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death. 
How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me. He was a member of the church. He found me in this state of loud weeping. He said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make him no answer for some time. He then said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, no, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church whose shop was nearly across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man and in my presence had been very watchful and I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. And when he came in I was very much in the state in which I was when the young man went out to call him. He asked me how I felt and I began to tell him. Instead of saying anything he fell into a most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Just at the time when I was given an account of my feelings to this elder of the church and to the other member who was with him, this young man came into the office. I was sitting with my back toward the door and barely observed that he came in. He listened with astonishment to what I was saying and the first I knew, he partly fell upon the floor and cried out in the greatest agony of mind, do pray for me. Just a magnificent move of God. It's just, I mean, what can you say? I want that. I want that. Um, I'm I'm fully convinced that God knows how to deal with all of his children. And so the ways and means by which God comes upon me by his spirit is totally up to him. I'm not fussed with secondary details of how it looks or what the packaging is. I just want to know him. And I want to know this deep... Life-changing love. The Bible says, Romans 5, 5, by his spirit, he pours his love into our heart. I want to know that more and more. And that, I think, is, is a worthy quest for any life, to know the love of God deeper and deeper in the heart. Because then out of that, we can show forth the love of God. This is extraordinary. This is, this is outstanding. This is wonderful crying and laughing or whatever. Th- these things are just, they're just, they're just... Uh, they're kind of manifestations, they're expressions, they're just outpourings of, of, of a jar of clay, as the Bible calls us, frail uh, and weak, being met with the omnipotent God. And what I love about this, perhaps more than anything, is that it's just so sovereign, God just came on him. No one developed an atmosphere, you know, there's none of that. God just came. And I, I, I long for, just long, I, I know so many of us do, just for an authentic, the, the movings of God in our midst. Where it's not, no one's drummed anything up. But God is at work among us. And those of you here, you may be here today and maybe even say, you just come with a friend or whatever. Um, you're not, you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I want, you, I want you to know, this love of this real God is for you. This love, this fight, this life on fire for God is for you. Jesus has bought it for you at the cross. Where every dark and shameful thing you've ever said, thought or done, he took on himself. So you could be freely forgiven. And he rose from the dead, which demonstrates he was all that he said he was, and that he's beaten death, so he can give you eternal life. And it may be that you're here, and you're someone who would typically be described as a backslider. It's a term the Bible sometimes uses to describe someone who once enjoyed walking with the Lord, but for whatever reason, you no longer are. Uh, And I felt, as as I'm just saying this, that there's particularly someone here, and you know this exactly who you are. And... uh, you know, the Bible says the backslider will have his fill of his ways. There'll come a point where you go, do you know what, this isn't tasting so good anymore. What do you do at that point? At that point, I tell you what you do, you wake up. 
and you come back. And he'll welcome you. He will welcome you. He will welcome you because he is overflowing with grace and mercy. And he'll welcome you more than anything else because of the work of Jesus on the cross. So please do, please do come. Okay, I'm going to love us to just respond in song in just a moment, but we've probably got a few minutes. I, I know sometimes when you talk about things like desire and longingness, they can raise questions. So really happy to just help with any, any burning questions that you just think, you know, it'd be good to just clarify, did I mean this, did I mean that? Uh, if there aren't any, we'll just go straight into a response. But if there are, really happy to try and help. Yes. 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 Yeah, I, mean, I think fiery is normally used of a temperament, isn't it? Someone's from the Latin part of the world, fiery, you know, fiery part of the world, the Latino, that kind of thing is often used. We, we would use that kind of thing. Or I married someone who's a bit fiery, someone with ginger hair, that kind of thing. And uh, um, I, I don't think that's the way the, the, the Bible doesn't, isn't talking about temperament. Um, the Bible is talking about being, being conformed to the likeness of God. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire, which means that I guess, it's, I guess it, it speaks of purifying there's something very purifying about fire. It's what the metal workers would use to, 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 to draw out the dross from, from precious metal. And the Bible says that we are God's work of art, you know, where his precious work. And, he's, and he uses his fire in, in our lives to, to draw out the impurities. So there's a purifying element to it. There's a consuming element to it. When it talks about zeal for your house consume, consumes me. Fire eats things up. There's something whereby you're just consumed by the fire of God in the sense, not in the sense that you're not, you're not there anymore, but there's, you are, you, you're, God isn't a side interest in your life. God isn't a hobby, something that you, oh yeah, and I'm into God too. No, no, no. Uh, seek first the kingdom. That doesn't, mean that, that doesn't mean that everyone has to work for the church, not at all. We're all called to different areas and vocations, but in it all, our heart is we seek first the kingdom. So maybe those two things are good for starters. There's a purifying work that we're serious about and that there's a, there's a consuming work. We, we glad, it's like, you know, um, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, Romans 12. And the idea is on the altar and then it's consumed with fire. There's someone who say, God, here I am. I'm, all, I'm, I'm not holding anything back. And I think that's the key to a close relationship with God. Anything else? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so people's concerns about, you know, if, if I give, if I let the Holy Spirit do what he does, being out of control and all the rest of it. It's a fine line, that one. It's a, it's a really, really fine line. Because some, there are certain elements about being out of control that are probably quite healthy. You know, if I'm constantly holding on to how do people see me and, and all this kind of thing. Or well, if I do that, or if I speak in tongues, someone might think something of me. I probably think a bit too highly of myself. And it, it's probably a good thing for the Lord to just help me to walk out of that. So that I'm not a slave to that. It's a horrible thing to be a slave to what people are thinking of you all the time. It's really not. That's, that's not freedom. So I think there's elements where we've got to say, Lord, just help me to get over myself a bit. And then I think there are other elements where we need to just say, but having done that, I recognize that my father is good. My father is good and he's not just into crazy, bizarre behavior. And yeah, I really, sometimes I think... I've been around Christian scenes where it's kind of been like the crazier the better. And it's like, no. It just becomes kind of something else. And it's like spiritual, spiritual points are gauged on like how, 
how outlandish your behaviour is. And I think there is no grounds on the Bible for that whatsoever. Not at all. So I think we've got, to, we've got to be able to get over ourselves, but then we also need to trust that God is good and that we don't, as a church, create an environment of just kind of either being, on the one hand, just too cool for school. Do you know what I mean? Like, in Camden and, oh, and, you know, you become too cool. And it's like you just being, it's just pride. It's just pride. Horrible. We don't want that. But at the same time, becoming those places where it's just like outlandish for the sake of it. No. No. Remember, anything that happens externally is kind of secondary. The, 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 the primary thing is what is God doing inside the soul of the man or the woman? That's the big deal. And any gift I've got is for the serving of the body. It's not something I've got that gift, it's so I can serve the body. Uh, and, and the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is being made more, is about being made more like Christ. This is all amazing stuff that we so desperately need. Um, and so that's what hunger for God is about. Amen?